Hello, church, and welcome back to the next episode in our adult Bible study podcast. I'm Jeff Sadler, and it is my distinct pleasure to be your guide for these next few classes. Uh, I'd like to give a big thank you to Ken Hines and Mark Compton uh, for kind of getting things going. Um, and I believe it was Kara Cross and Jody Compton also that really kind of got this whole series going. Uh, and if you're new to the study, we're working our way through the D6 everyday study material. Uh, the name D6, uh, I've learned from kind of looking through it, comes from Deuteronomy 6. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You know, and so... What makes this study kind of unique is that the lessons are, are synced across all the age groups. Uh, so you can go through this together as a family and embrace that Deuteronomy 6 mindset of just really weaving the word of God into every aspect of our lives, of our kids' lives. Uh, so I'm excited. And I think this is, I, I hope and pray that this is uh, encouraging and edifying for us as a church. And especially with everything going on right now, we're, you know, we're now on this pause and we're not able to get back together uh, for a while. And our groups are going to be smaller for a while. Uh, it's a really good time to kind of reset and kind of focus inward a little bit on our families and make sure that we're, we're living the way that God wants to, to live as a family. So that's what this study is all about. And as we jump into our next lesson, which if you have the materials for your kids uh, or any of the other adult materials, this is lesson 11. Uh, the title of the le a lesson is Even Death Obeys. And our text that we're going to be studying from is John chapter 11, verses 1 through 44. Before we dive into that, though, ask yourself, what do you do when God doesn't answer your prayers? I mean, at least on your timeline. It happens to all of us. I mean, has anybody else here been praying for the pandemic to end? You know, how's that working out so far? Um, but it all happens. It happens to all of us. You know, we, there's something going on in our life, whether it's an illness, whether it's somebody we love going through trials, maybe it's your own struggle with sin. But sometimes when we pray to God, we don't get the answer that we want, or we don't get it when we want it. And the devil will use these occasions to attack God's character and question his promises. And he's done this since the beginning back in the garden when he asked Eve, did God really say that? Did God really mean that? And what I've learned, and I think what we'll see in today's lesson is that if we fix our eyes on Jesus and if we hold steadfast to God's word, uh, it's often in these trials that we get to see more clearly uh, the magnitude and the wonder of God's glory. So let's jump into our lesson today. Uh, the text is going to span the first 44 verses of John chapter 11, uh, but let's start out by reading uh, just verses 1 through 16. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along, and if you're driving in a car or you're out mowing the lawn or something like that, uh, probably best not to follow along. Uh, so just, just take a deep breath and, and listen to the word. John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. 
It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. So let's pause right there. A few things that really just jumped out to me as I was reading through this text. Now, one thing that appears through this story on multiple occasions is you can see Jesus' love. I mean, it says it right there in verse three, uh, the sister sent to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And it even says in verse five, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus, you know, we, we know John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world. We know that it was Jesus love for all of us that he came to the earth, but as much as he was God, he was still human. And every one of us, we have these relationships, these bonds, these friendships, and Jesus was no different. You can see it the way he interacts with his disciples. And you see that throughout uh, the book of John, where he talks about, you know, we kind of assume that it's, it's John writing about himself, but you know, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. And so you can see Jesus had, there were certain people that Jesus had a bond with that every one of us has friendships and people like that, that we care about. And so that's one of the things that as you read through the story, that love and that friendship is front and center. And so when you start to look at some of the things that unfolds here on the surface, you can very easily start to ask questions like, why, why did he do that? If he loved them, why did he do that? Why did he make them wait? Why did he, you know, why did things unfold the way that they did? And I think that's a valid question, but Jesus, but Jesus tells us, he says it right there in verse four, where he said, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Cause look at verse five. He says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, <laughs> and that's, that's not a typo. It's therefore it's this idea because verse five, then verse six, and that's because Jesus loved them so much. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, on the surface, that seems to be about the worst possible thing Jesus could have done if he truly loved them. I mean, think about it. If you got a phone call that uh, your, your mother, your father was seriously ill, was about to die. I mean, what's the natural reaction almost every one of us would have? You drop what you're doing, you get on a plane, and you go to be with them uh, to console, even if even if you can't do anything, just to be there uh, to comfort them, to comfort the rest of the family, the others uh, that care. Um, you don't just take that news and just say, eh, let's wait a couple days. But that's exactly what Jesus did. And he did it. It says it there in the text because 
He loved them and he did it for a purpose. So then the next part of the text, we have this, uh, this whole interaction between Jesus and the disciples where they're saying, well, why are we going through Judea uh, around Jerusalem? I mean, they just tried to stone you there. And there's this kind of somewhat uh, veiled passage where he says, you know, Jesus says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, does he not stumble because he sees the light of this world? You know, and it's a little weird, you know, just the way he kind of talks to them. It's, he could have just plainly said like, ah, you know, um, we're going to go and everything's going to be fine. But it's interesting that the wording he uses here is kind of similar to what he says in John chapter nine, verses three through five, uh, where, you know, he heals a, a blind man, um, or he encounters a blind man. They ask him if, if, uh, the man is blind because of sin. And Jesus says in verse three, chapter nine, verse three, he says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so the way I read this passage here in John chapter 11, what Jesus is saying when he's talking about the light and the day, uh, Jesus talks and it appears in John quite a bit where his time has not yet come, where he knows that he has an appointed time and he knows that God is with him. And as long as he's walking in the light, doing God's works and following God's will, God will protect him. God will keep him safe. Uh, he doesn't have to worry about those trying to stone him in Judea because uh, he knows that he's walking in the light. He's following God's will uh, until the appointed time, which he knows is later coming. Uh, and so then, of course, you know, uh, the disciples oftentimes a little bit thick headed, uh, you know, don't understand what Jesus is saying about <laughs> resurrecting Lazarus. So Jesus finally has to say plainly, Lazarus has died. Uh, but he goes on again. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. So he knows that in not being there, they've seen people healed before. And of course, that made an impact. Seeing Jesus heal the blind, uh, heal the sick, it made an impact. Uh, but this, this is one of the, the last big miracles in the book of John that Jesus performs. And this is, in a lot of ways, the biggest. Uh, and so Jesus says again, it's good that I was not there. This is what's best. It may not be what makes the most sense. It may not be the common thing that we would expect. But Jesus says, this is good. This is what's best. Um, and then of course, Thomas, uh, called the twin goes on to say, let us also go that we may die with him. Uh, <laughs> and I, you know, there, I, I looked at some of the commentators to try to figure out, you know, what exactly is Thomas saying? Is he being serious? Is he ready to die with Jesus? And do they think that they're facing death or is it just like, okay, whatever, we're going to get stoned. Let's go to Judea. Fine. Jesus. I don't know. I kind of think, I kind of think the latter were, you know, they're like, we can't go to Judea, Jesus, you're going to get stoned. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Something about light walking in the light. Um, this is good. Lazarus is dead. <laughs> and Thomas is just like, all right, whatever, God, we're going. Um, but nonetheless, uh, they go And And I think that's important to keep in the context of this story is, you know, at this point in Jesus ministry, there is peril and we'll see where we're actually not going to get to verse 45, but right after uh, this whole story, uh, this is really what spurs the leaders to plot to kill Jesus. So their concerns were not unfounded and it ultimately was Jesus going to Bethany to Lazarus uh, that gets him uh, sent to the cross and puts those events in motion. So their concerns were not unfounded. And it was um, Jesus' love uh, 
uh, for his disciples and for his friends that sent him off down that course and ultimately his love for us as well. Uh, So let's pick up now in verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been there, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. So we're going to pause in the story right there. So one thing to notice, you know, not that it's critical to the story, but when Jesus gets there, uh, Lazarus has been dead and in the tomb for four days. Uh, from where they were when they heard um, it, what I was reading is they were about 30 miles or about a, a couple days journey away. Uh, and it says that Jesus stayed for two days. So if you kind of do the math, if it, if Jesus waited two days and then by the time he got there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. It wouldn't have mattered if Jesus had left that second, the moment he heard Lazarus already would have been dead. So why wait those extra two days? Why keep everyone in suspense? Why leave his friends suffering and alone? And the only thing I can come up with is that he wanted to make sure that there was no question. They didn't have the same medical uh, facilities that we have today. Uh, So for someone to be, you know, to die, uh, you know, they didn't have the, the same, you know, wouldn't, they wouldn't hook them up to an EKG or, you know, anything like that. So, uh, it was, I think, important for Jesus to wait long enough so that everyone was certain that he was dead, but not just dead, but as we'll see later, I mean, the expectation was after several days in that environment, the body would have begun to decay, uh, which is pretty gross. But again, it emphasizes this idea that if he had shown up like the moment that Lazarus had died and it healed him. Uh, it would have been, again, still, you know, healing the, the sick is still a miracle, but it would have been easy to just say, oh, yeah, I just healed another person. But for Lazarus to have been dead long enough that there's no question he was dead, locked in the tomb, uh, the again, the odor, the decay would have set in at that point. Uh, it really leaves no question in everyone's mind that was there that this was not just healing the sick, but this was bringing uh, Lazarus back from the dead. And then when Jesus says in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Those words carry weight now, uh, so much more weight, because, again, Lazarus was dead and there was no question around it. One other thing I wanted to point out reading through the story that struck me is you see Martha and Mary, and we'll see some of the other Jews, their reactions as we read on, but they have different responses. 
So Martha runs out to Jesus, and this seems kind of true to her her character. We we meet these two women uh, in another story, and it's one that many of you are probably familiar with, where Martha is you know busy cleaning the house, and Mary is just sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha gets upset because she's busy doing stuff, she's out doing stuff, and uh, she asks Jesus to say, "Hey, make my sister come help me," and Jesus says, "You know, she's doing the best thing. I won't always be here. You can entertain people later, but." listening to me while I'm here is probably more important. And so it seems true to these two women's character that Martha's the one that's got to get out and do something. But I love her reply or her response when she meets Jesus. She says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But then she goes on. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I see this optimism in her and that, you know, that kind of resonates with me. I, I like to to see things in this optimistic kind of way okay, God, this didn't work out the way I wanted to, but I know that you've got a plan. And so then it's because of that uh, faith that we see in her that we then have this conversation with Jesus where he says one of his famous I am statements, I am the resurrection and the life. And so I love that that interaction between those two. Uh, But then let's read on, and now we'll see uh, Mary's reaction as well as some of the other Jews. So in verse 30, Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his seat, saying to him, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. So some of the things we see now, as I mentioned, I love the interaction with Jesus and Martha. It's this somewhat rational discourse of, God, if you'd been here, he could have been saved, but I, I know, I know you're good. And I know, I know you can ask and God will give you, I don't know what, uh, but when Mary comes, she just falls at his feet, weeping, saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would have not died. I don't think that was just a casual statement. You know, God, if you'd been here, he probably wouldn't have died. I see her as the text says, weeping at Jesus feet, just crying out in pain and agony, Lord, if you'd been here, my father or my brother would not have died. And you can just feel her emotion. 
And that's it. She just is weeping and sobbing at Jesus' feet. And the thing that I love is, you know, you see on the one hand, you have Mary who has this just emotional response. And in a lot of ways, just accusing, saying, Jesus, you know what? You messed up. If you had been here, my brother would still be alive. And then you have Martha who says kind of the same thing, but does it in a way where she's like, you could have done this, but I know that you're good. And so we have this somewhat more rational, logical response, but then we have this very deeply emotional, heartfelt response. But as we see in the Psalms, where you see sometimes the psalmist just crying out to God, why God, why? And then other times you see the psalmist saying, I don't know why God, but you're good. And which one does God react to? Which one does God respond to? And the answer is both. God looks on both responses with love and compassion and tenderness. God gives Martha an answer and God gives Mary an answer. They both were there to witness the resurrection. They both got to see uh, Jesus raise their brother from the dead. And to me, that's comforting. God doesn't, God doesn't care how you come to him. God doesn't want you to come to him quoting verses necessarily and saying, well, God, you said this over here and you said that over there. And so that's, that's what I'm going to hold to. God loves that. He does. But at the same time, if you don't know that and you just need to come to God and just pour your heart out to God and say, why God, if you had only, if this pandemic hadn't come, if I hadn't lost my job, if I hadn't whatever, you don't have to have an answer. You just have to come to God. And that's one of the just beautiful pieces that I see in this story. And so then as he goes on, we see the response from some of the Jews. Of course, they see Jesus' emotion in this, circum- in this uh, situation uh, where, you know, they, they tell Jesus to come and, and Jesus starts weeping. And so they say, see how much he loved him. Uh, and if you're looking for a verse to memorize, John eleven thirty five, 35, it's a great place to start. Jesus wept. <laughs> it's a very easy one to memorize. Uh, but if you really, in, in the context of this story, It's a very, very powerful verse. I mean, Jesus knows what's about to happen, and he's been talking about it since the beginning of the chapter. He knows that Lazarus is going to rise, yet he still is caught up in the emotion of the moment. And I think part of it is not just just seeing the people that he loves suffering, but I think a lot of it is when you look at the wording that John uses here, where he says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Uh, what little bit of research and digging I did into those phrases, uh, it's not just that he was sad or emotional. Uh, it carries this idea of just this anger as well and kind of frustration uh, welling up when it talks about him being greatly troubled. And I really think part of what you're seeing here is Jesus' frustration with a lot of the people around him that despite everything that they've seen and everything he said, they're still looking in like in verse 37 saying, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have also kept this man from dying? And then, you know, immediately following this in verses 45 on, as I mentioned earlier, this is what spurs the Jews to then plot to kill him. And so I think as Jesus looks around and he sees this, he sees, you know, it's this idea that the glory of God is right here, right in front of you yet you're still so blind by sin and the world that you don't see it. And I think that's where part of Jesus' frustration comes in that leads him to just open up and weep. Uh, And and again, as we come to a close in this, this is such a powerful story, and not just because we see Jesus raising someone from the dead, which is amazing and incredible in and of itself, 
But in this, we also see Jesus' compassion and his power for people and those that he loves. Uh, We see that Jesus was willing to put himself into danger and ultimately set off on this course to go to the cross. Uh, and he was able, and he was willing to do it in such a way that brought God the most glory and gave the people the most hope and the most joy through this um, in the long run. So that's one of the important lessons that we need to take out of this. As we talked about at the beginning, you know, what do you do when God doesn't answer your prayers, you know, at least on your timeline? It's never easy when you're in the moment. It's never easy when you're stuck, when you've got somebody that has illness or you're the one that's sick, uh, cancer or something along those lines. And we don't have the perspective that God has to see his plan. But for those of us that have faith, that walk with God, that believe in God, we know that everything that he does is for his glory. And that is the ultimate good. He takes no joy in our suffering. He weeps when he looks at the world and sees the sin that is in it and what has become of his perfect, beautiful creation. But we know the lengths that he will go to to redeem it and to bring us back to him. And that's where we rest our hope. That's where when our prayers aren't answered in the timeline that we want, we can step back and trust God. We may not have the words like Martha to say, I don't know why God, but I know that you, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Uh, But we can like Mary still fall at Jesus' feet and just say, why God, if you had only, if this had only, and just take that to God and pour that out to God. Because we know that God raised Lazarus, Jesus rose from the dead, and that we have that hope. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And not just whoever believes will see Lazarus rise, but whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. So death still is a part of this earth that we live in, but we have the hope of eternal life, the resurrection, eternity with Christ. And that's where we rest our hat. That's what we get to cling to. So take this message for those of you that are parents, take this message and spend some time and talk about this for your kids. And maybe, you know, depending on their age, you know, you may not want to get into all the details, but even just seeing what Jesus did here, raising someone from the dead, Um, share that story and what that means for us, because you don't want to wait until tragedy strikes to try to instill this into your children's heart. The time to do it is now, you know, when you have this extra time as a family, maybe you're not traveling as much, you're not getting out as much. Maybe you're not doing as much extracurriculars because everything's canceled. So you have more time as a family and use that time to start building this into their hearts uh, so that when it does become, Uh, reality for them. They can rest on these promises and it's already there in their hearts. Uh, And again, that's, that's, I think the least that we as parents can do uh, to prepare our kids. So I will leave you on that note. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us this week. And we will be back again next week with our next lesson. And uh, if you're going to look ahead, we're actually now jumping back from the new Testament into the old Testament. And we're going to dive into the book of Job a little bit. So let's look forward to that. Uh, God bless, and we'll see you next time.